0: All right, everyone. Bobby Maximus here, along
1: with a very good friend of mine and my co-host, Joe Sibula And we are here live with the first episode, the inaugural episode of something we are calling the Maximus podcast. Now, I know with a lot of things like this, we're supposed to have some tagline and there's a format. But honestly, I think we're all beyond that a little bit. The, the purpose of this podcast is to get you Quality information and really tools and usable, actionable things that you can use to make your life the best it can possibly be. So here we are. Hey Joe. Hey Bobby, how you doing today? Great, never better. Uh, excited to be getting started on this thing. It's been a long time coming. You know, I guess I guess we can get right into it here. But I've done a million
0: podcasts for other people, and I think it's about time that we do one ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I think the the content that we're going to be able to uh, to get out to people is going to be really helpful too. So I'm excited to see where this goes. No, for sure. So let's dive right in. All right. Well, uh, to to kind of start off, uh, one of the things that I wanted to to talk with you about is the the um, I guess the challenges and the opportunities that you've faced in life. Um, you you really have kind of a, a theme running through uh, through your existence uh, of of coming up against some some like hard odds, but always plowing through. There's a there's a real sense of perseverance. Um, so to kind of get right down to it, uh, tell me a little bit about I guess where you're from, where you grew up, and some of the challenges that you faced as a young Bobby Maximus. Sure. My story in in
1: terms of how I've gotten to where I am today, I wish I could tell somebody some story about I always had a dream of being into strength and conditioning or it's always wanted like what I wanted to be growing up. But that's simply not the truth. Uh, I, you know, was born into a really humble family, wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. We weren't rich. I wasn't a trust fund kid and I wasn't genetically gifted either. I mean, I always joke around that there's different lines in heaven and somebody lined up in the football line and somebody lined up in the basketball line and I don't think I lined up in any line to tell you the truth. I wasn't good at sports. I was always the last one picked on the playground. Uh I got cut from every team I tried out for. I mean if you knew me when I was six, seven, eight years old, even 12, 13, or 14, you would have never thought I could be doing what I am today. Yeah. And you know for for as a kid, I was bullied a little bit and and I say a little bit and I've talked about this in other podcasts, but it's a really hard thing for me to talk about sometimes because I just want to shrug it off and be a tough guy. And I do believe that I'm sure you were bullied at certain points. Like if I said, Joe, were you ever called a name? The answer is yes. I mean, everybody has been put down, not invited to the cool kids party, uh, dumped by a girl. I mean, it, it's thing, these things happen to people, but there was a point in my life where I was punched in the face on the bus. I was wedgied. Mm-hmm. Kids drew on my face with markers. Uh, they made fun of me. Um, you know, I remember I had, I had one friend and he wasn't allowed to be friends with me anymore because the other kids didn't like him being friends with me. And so mm-hmm. I was bullied fairly heavily, I guess. And when I was in grade nine, these four kids beat me up and broke my collarbone mm-hmm. in gym class. And at that point, to be honest with you, I kind of had enough. I didn't want this to happen anymore. It was kind of a miserable experience a little bit and I did pretty well with it. I hid it from my parents and they didn't really know and blah, 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 but I didn't want it to happen anymore. So I joined the wrestling team. Uh, my mother and father were horrified because I broke my collarbone, uh, wrestling with some kids in, in class, um, these kids have bullied me and, uh, I, I joined the wrestling team and I was terrible at it. My first year, I didn't win a match. I was complete fish out of water, Hmm. uh, didn't know what I was doing. And my second year, I was terrible, too. So now we're into grade 11, and I won one match out of, I I don't want to tell you how many I had, but it was probably 30 to 40 matches. Sure. And I realized at that point that I needed something more than just wrestling. Like, if I wanted to get good at this thing, I had to work harder. And so I made a long walk down the school hallway to our high school weight room Hmm. and it's actually funny cuz I can remember the day I went into that place and it it's it's I I can only imagine the fear that adults feel going into a weight room or going into a gym for the first time because it is scary, not knowing what to do, being the weakest one, scared to stand out, being scared to get made fun of. But I I, I went in. My first day, I got pinned under a 45-pound barbell. Hmm. Uh, I'm proud to say I'm part of that club. (laughs) Um, But I went, and no matter what happened, I kept going back day after day. And I was really fortunate because there were some older kids. There were some teachers that really helped me. and showed me what to do, showed me how to bench press, showed me how to use a lat pull-down machine. And we didn't have anything fancy. We had a couple of squat cages, a couple of bench presses. And do you remember those? They're like quad universal machines, and in each corner there's like a stack.
0: Uh, So we would do things like that. And so I started working out. And And, and and this was like grade 11. So, I mean, that was the first time Bobby Maximus stepped into a weight room. That is correct. Wow and and I was I was
1: sixteen years old, and that's the first time I had exposure to any of this stuff and I started working out. my parents saw that, and they uh scrounged some money together and they bought me um a York barbell set after that. I don't know if you ever remember those with the super thin barbells oh yeah and the yeah. The like the cement the sand filled plates. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was sand or cement, but it was encapsulated in plastic. And yeah. I got a little York barbell set and I started buying muscle and fitness books and men's health books and flex magazine. And I would, you know, put little Arnold posters on my wall and work out. And I started getting stronger, like not knowing what I was doing, just showing up every day. I started getting stronger. And as I started to get stronger, I actually started to win in wrestling. So in grade 12, I won a lot more matches than I lost. And then uh, grade 13 or 13th grade, that's gonna sound funny to some people, but in Ontario, we had a grade 13. It was a pre-university year. So we did high school in Ontario, Canada for five years. And in my last year of high school, I went undefeated except for the final match of the year, uh, which was for essentially the state championship. So I had a tremendous wrestling year. And I was recruited by a lot of bigger universities, uh, talked to by some of the colleges down in the States, and I was on my way. And from there, I never really looked back. I'd set a really good platform based on strength and conditioning
0: and charged forward. And um, it took you to that next level, which I think is kind of the next step of the story, because your your university wrestling career is interesting, too. It had its own challenges. I know oh, had, yeah. Uh, we had talked previously about you having having goals and getting getting on the Olympic team. Uh, but you were in a weight class with a real monster. And so you had a lot of work ahead of you if you were going to be competitive there. Tell me. A little no, bit about for sure. That. Well, you know,
1: and, and, and it wasn't easy because the thing that I that I'll that I'll bring up that I don't talk a lot about on other people's podcasts is when I was going into second year university, my dad died. Yeah. And that really changed things for me. Um, all of a sudden, it's like I have this this stress and this trauma and this horrible experience uh, happening back home. I went to university away from my house six hours away. Um, part of the reason I left where I grew up is because I wanted to reinvent myself. You know, you're, you're kind of looked at in your hometown as the person you were when you were eight, nine years old right. and going away from me was a way to reinvent myself and a way to just really come into my own. But it kind of sucked when my dad died, that my family lived so far apart mm-hmm. and that I had to go back to university and to a degree, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had supportive friends and people around me, but I kind of had to deal with this shit on my own right. and to have that happen to you in the middle of your university and university wrestling career it's really tough i'm not gonna lie um when when a lot of times you just want to cry or you just want to like you know pack your shit up and go
0: home Um, and especially as as a wrestler and especially as a good one i mean the the sense that you have an image to maintain it just it adds to that whole thing too no
1: for sure and then and then on top of that. I was faced with, as you said, there was a gentleman named Justin Beauprela who was one of the best wrestlers in the world at the time. I mean he came second at the World University Games, and that's out of the United States, Russia, Bulgaria. I mean I just had the guy in my weight category. Yeah. And so I was already under the gun. I was underweight for being a heavyweight wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, And there was a lot of struggles there and I almost made the Olympic team. I didn't, but that, I guess, experience taught me a lot of lessons that set the table for the next phase of my life. And that was the ultimate fighting championship. Uh, When I got out of wrestling, I was kind of disappointed. I didn't accomplish everything I had wanted to. And wrestling for me was a real passion because I looked at it as my escape out of being bullied, my escape out of who I was up until I was 15, 16 years old, Like that was my vehicle. That's how I was going to make it. And that's who I really wanted to be. And, And I was really, really upset that I didn't make the Olympic team and, uh, I managed to meet a gentleman named Sean Tompkins who, for people that follow MMA, he's one of the greatest MMA coaches of all time. Uh, Sean died uh, about eight years ago, which is is really tragic, um, but worked with Vitor Belfort, worked with Dan Henderson, worked with Randy Couture, worked with Mark Hominick, Sammy Stout. I mean, a lot of legends in the name of, of, of MMA and the UFC, and I got to work with him. He needed some help with wrestling. I... Um, thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. I can get into a new sport. And it's funny. I never really wanted to be an MMA fighter either. It's just Sean came up to me one day and said, Hey, how would you like to travel, get paid some money to punch somebody in the face and (laughs) party and hang out? And I'm kind of like, this sounds great. I, yeah, let's do it. And so I Poured myself into mixed martial arts. Started training. Uh, within a year and a half, I was second in the world for kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and funny enough, that that that, that comes up. Uh, Joe, I think we we officially
0: met in two <laughs> thousand. 2000- officially met. That was my, <laughs> yeah. my first uh, my first introduction to to Robert McDonald. Was in the, yeah. The tiny little town of Waterloo, Iowa. That's correct, and and so so to give people a clearer picture of what's going
1: on, because I don't know if they'll be the inside history. I'd say we officially met in what 2016, yeah, somewhere yeah. around there, fifteen or 16. To the strength conditioning yeah. world. Yeah. And, and we became friends uh, mm-hmm. right away. And then through talking, we realized we'd actually crossed paths way back in, I think it was 2001. And I had fought yeah. a guy named Trent Thunderfoot Tompkins for a world IKF kickboxing championship. And I got knocked the fuck out. I was not ready for that fight at all. <laughs> I was ranked second in the world. He was ranked number one. Um, he pretty much sent me home in a box oh, um, oh. is how that worked out. I mean, I was in Iowa and I got knocked out and the next thing I remember was driving across the border in Detroit. So um, Joe and I have this joke for people that are listening about how we crossed paths on an elevator and you were on, you know, with Trent Tompkins and we kind of eyeballed each other in the elevator and almost got in a fight and that was when we unofficially met and I'm I'm 100% sure you were cheering against me that night and oh, yeah. no, applauded loudly I got team. No, yeah. It was a good night for yeah. the home team. Trent sure was, one, was of my, I fought, uh, one of my training partners. Yeah, and I fought him <laughs> His hometown. So that's when we unofficially met. But um I got I got really good at kickboxing. And but the goal was never to be a kickboxer. That was just something I needed to get better for MMA. And as far as my MMA career, mixed martial arts goes, I won a fight, I won another fight, I won another fight. Um started doing some submission grappling and jujitsu and won another fight. And then all of a sudden I found myself in the UFC. That was another interesting experience. I was put on the television show, The Ultimate Fighter 2, and suffered on that show what they thought was a career-ending injury. I tore my labrum, my rotator cuff, and my bicep tendon. It actually – the bicep tendon along with the labrum rolled up into my elbow. Is is what happened. And it was unfortunate at the time because the people who were producing the show took that opportunity to make me look pretty bad. Like I was complaining about an injury and that I was whining and, and, and all this stuff. And that just wasn't the case. I needed major reconstructive surgery. After that, and and I remember talking to the surgeon, and I was devastated. I mean, I had quit a a police job to to go on the show. Uh, I I thought this is how I was going to make it, and I was finally brave enough to give up my real day job to to go make the UFC, and now I had this catastrophic injury, and I remember the surgeon looking at me, and I asked him if I'd ever fight again, and he said, I don't even know if you'll pass a police physical again, and I, I remember just having a sinking feeling of like what have i done like i knew i shouldn't give it on my police job i how am i going how am i going to get through this like i might not be able to work out again or fight again or wrestle again like i, I had my shot and and it's it, it, i i blew it it's been taken away from me and then t- kind of get kicked in the guts a little bit again when they make you look like a baby on the show yeah. for uh, you, you know, for having an injury. Um, it, it was, it was rough, but, I, you know, I, I, I kind of did what I always do and I rolled up my sleeves and I got to work and I sought out a really good physical therapist who had, who had worked with, uh, a lot of, uh, famous athletes and, and he was willing to help me. And, and I, I, I got down to it and I was able to rehabilitate my shoulder and I was able to fight again. And I went on to have more fights in the UFC. In fact, I, at ultimate fight night five, I, I, I beat a guy, I had no, Business beating named Christian yeah. Rotharm, Rotharm uh, with a much better record than me, but I actually won submission of the night in in, in in that fight, and so that was a really triumphant moment for me, coming from a place of getting made fun of on TV and having a career ending injury to finishing the story into a story of triumph. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, well, and, and, and besides, like even the physical challenge of it all, there was a lot of mental challenge that you were facing as well. Uh, and and you you talk about this quite a bit in the book, um, but you actually worked with a really uh, a really good sports psychologist so how did that play into overcoming those things you know when i was in and i'll I'll backtrack a little
1: bit now my first fight my first legitimate fight apart from the tv show the reality show um the ultimate fighter my first fight in the ufc was ufc 53 canada versus the usa against a guy named uh jason lambert And I remember being in the dressing room of the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino Resort, uh, scared shitless. Like, what the hell am I doing here? There's 20,000 people in the audience. They're going to see me get beat up. I'm going to get booed. My hometown's 1,800 people. This is way bigger than anything I've ever seen. I'm not ready for this. Why did I come here? Like, I was filled with all kinds of negative thoughts. Um, I was scared of my opponent. Uh, he'd fought a lot of really, really good people. He'd fought Tim Sylvia. He'd fought Marco Ruaz. I mean, he, he had a great career already and I felt like I was being kind of fed to him. Like Mm -hmm. I was his, he was going to beat me up and be on his way with his career. And these negative thoughts, I went out and I got destroyed in that fight. Um, it's the worst I've ever fought in my life. Um, And I kind of thought my career was over at that point. Um, I got another call to go into uh, the UFC and I had realized like maybe, just maybe being physical is not, uh, not enough. So I've got to, got to get my head straight, you know? Right, And so. I was lucky enough to meet a gentleman named Brian Kane. Brian Kane had worked with George St. Pierre, he'd worked with Rich Franklin, and these were both guys I was friends with. Um, for some of the older UFC, uh, you know, fans out there, they're two legends in the sport. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many, you know, you know how many of the new kids know these guys, but they're they're in the UFC Hall of Fame. They're they're incredible people, and they recommended me to a guy named Brian Kane who started working with and uh brian Kane kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things and truth be told and i will say this on the record on my own podcast anything that i ever did in terms of with my career at jim jones uh writing the book the maximus body working with men's health a lot of my philosophy comes directly from that man Hmm. And I will give him credit for that till the day that I die, because he he really introduced me to a whole new world of sports psychology. And that's really where I learned that that the mind is primary and, and, and where that, you know, a, a strong mind is a catalyst for change and that if your brain is strong, you can make your body strong. And I started working with Brian. And with working with him, I started to get my confidence, and I started to do really, really well. And so I went out in Ultimate Fight Night 5, and I destroyed a guy I shouldn't have beat. I won uh, submission of the night. I got paid $20,000 for that fight, which is an incredible amount of money for a person that has nothing. Yeah. And, and I was on my way. And from there on, I decided I didn't need sports psychology anymore. I was cured. I was good to go. I fixed all my problems. I was on my way to the UFC Heavyweight Championship of the World. hmm And then I fought a guy named Eric Schaefer in the next UFC, UFC 62, and uh, back at the Mandalay Bay. So a similar uh, scenario is to Jason Lambert. Uh, some negative thoughts were triggered, and I went down the spiral again yeah. of negative thoughts. What if I lose? I'm gonna get my contract cut. I'm not ready for this. Uh, People at work, I was back as a cop at that point. I managed to get my police job back um, to support my fighting career and I was worried I was going to get fired for representing the department bad. I mean, I was thinking all kinds of crazy shit. My girlfriend was going to dump me. I mean, like I was on another planet of negativity. So I went out and I lost that fight bad again. And that was a pivotal moment for me. I was choked unconscious in that fight. I didn't tap out. I just went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that was a pivotal moment for me. I actually wrote Eric Schaefer for a message once saying hey thanks for choking me unconscious it changed my life for the better and he wrote back like i don't know how to answer this dude <laughs> you know um are you trolling me like is this a joke and, and no but it it really wasn't because that taught me that that negative thought pattern i had that had been set up for the first 16 17 years of my life of being bullied that's with me forever like yeah. this Self doubt. It's ingrained in me. It's pretty deep. And I wasn't going to overcome it by practicing sports psychology for two or three months, that this was going to be a lifelong endeavor. Yeah. yeah. So I started working heavily with Brian again and, uh, you know, really dove into it. And I was doing everything. I mean, shit. I was meditating. Uh, I was I was writing stuff down in the morning. I was doing the stuff that I want to talk uh, to people about called green dot therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. I was doing every single thing I could to fix my brain. And, and, and from there, um, I, I, you know, went on to win a world championship at a, at a fight, uh, organization called the ring of fire. Uh, it was a really high level organization. There's a lot of great guys in the UFC who've come from there, like mm-hmm. Shane Carwin, Mike Nichols, Elliot Marshall. That's who I fought Dwayne Ludwig. And I was able to win a, a world championship in their organization. And, and I'll credit a lot of that to Brian Kane and the sports psychology stuff that we worked on on together. And that was really the, if I look back on it, even though it was into the UFC, that was the pinnacle of my career. I mean, I was the best I've ever fought. It's the best I've ever felt. And that's really where I became Bobby Maximus. Like that's where I really, that, that, that lesson of persevere over everything that, that consistent messaging of try your best that the brain matters more than the body. I mean, that's where that, that, that night is where all that stuff was really forged.
0: Well, it's interesting for me. Uh, because that was kind of what drew us together. I mean, that was really sort of the attraction was based on that. You know, watching you get knocked out in Iowa. Sorry, I, I didn't. You know, I wasn't a fan that night. But it's interesting that you know a few years down the line, all of a sudden there was this this strong attraction. Um, and that's kind of how we ended up working together. Uh, you mentioned the green dots, and I do want to come back to that because uh, the, the whole notion of this podcast is to give people something you know valuable that they can take with them. And I think that's that's one of the best things that we can offer them today. Before we do that, I just want to ask you about your most recent challenge. Because all of these times that you've had had to face some level of, of adversity or resistance and, and you've persevered through, you found a way, you, you addressed your weaknesses and you got mentally tough when you needed to be. Um, your most recent battle was was with a disease. So tell me how, how that compared to some of the other battles that you've faced. Well that
1: was that was really difficult. And, and and so let's let's actually back up a second from that to give people a little bit more of a background. Mm-hmm. Once once I beat Elliott Marshall, uh, I got hired by uh, a gym called Jim Jones that not a lot of people have heard of at the time. And my job, because of my fight background, my police background, my background in sports psychology, and my education level, I've got three university degrees, I was hired to turn Jim Jones into a business – and so I moved from Canada to the United States, Salt Lake City, and I took a, 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 a small gym and built up a, you know, a seminar program, a certification program. You went through the seminar and certification program, um, you know, uh, certified over 70 people, uh, traveled around the world and, and really uh, helped put Jim Jones on the map. Um, I was the general manager and I ran that for a number of years. I want to say nine. And. Just this uh, November of 2017, I got fired from Jim Jones. And that was a real blow to me. So we parted ways, and soon after that, I think the stress—I was under a lot of stress at that job for probably the past two to three years that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the stress of that it kind of kind of overwhelmed me a little bit, and I got really really sick, and I got this disease called *Clostridium difficile*, and C. diff is about two hundred thousand people a year get it, forty thousand die. So it's a it's a I mean a one in five chance of really dying, which is pretty significant um yeah i was hospitalized numerous times uh i lost 47 pounds in 30 days which uh that was rough uh at my lowest i dropped from 245 to 198 is what happened to me well, yeah, rapidly. It's not like
0: you had all this extra weight to lose either
1: no 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 i mean i was hospitalized i was bedridden um, my wife thought i was gonna die i mean it got pretty dark at points um but you know talking about kind of that experience, it was nothing that I had never dealt with before. Like, yes, it was this new sickness, but I mean, shit, when I was younger, I was hospitalized for MRSA. Uh, when I say younger, I was in my 20s uh, when I was fighting, um, almost lost my arm. Uh, I fought staff a couple of times, uh, almost lost my hand to that. Um, so it was just another thing for me. It was another roadblock. It was no different than my dad dying. It was no different than me getting knocked the fuck out by Trent Tompkins. It was no different than me getting made fun of on TV. It was just another thing the world was thrown at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there is this interesting theory uh, to go off in a little bit different of a direction that when you find your calling and what you're really supposed to supposed to do in life, the world really doesn't want you to do it. Like if you talk to these people that have been so successful, like the founder of Nike They'll all tell you the same thing that when they finally found their thing, the world didn't want them to succeed, that all kinds of stuff was thrown in their lap that they had to deal with. And that's how I honestly thought about it. And there was not one point that I wanted to give up. There was not one point I was down. It was like this was just another thing that I was going to overcome and I was going to defeat. And it was going to make me that much better.
0: We talked about this at the time, too, like that that sense that resistance was up against you. That if you were going to do something at that point, then this was what you had to face. And so it wasn't a question. And I don't think uh, either of us had a doubt about it. But it it was just like because of that resistance, you knew you had to push back. No, and it it challenges you and it galvanizes you and it makes
1: you better. And so I started to fight. but. You know, I didn't know what kind of fight I was into because months later, I wasn't better yet. I mean, it took me a long time to, to kill this disease. Uh, I had an antibiotic-resistant strain of it, which was not good, which means I kept getting sick. I could not shake this thing. Um, eventually, I went for what's called an FMT treatment, which uh, is fecal matter transplant. Right. Um, and there's two ways to do it. So uh, this will be a bit graphic, but you can either get uh, somebody else's stool put in you uh, from the back end, or you can eat a feces pill. So if you wanted to tell me to go eat shit, anyone out there? <laughs> yes, I have eaten shit technically, but uh, this shit fixed me. Um and that's what allowed me to get over this disease. Uh, and uh, I started to get better and I started to put on weight and I started to get stronger. But I still wasn't 100 percent. So I went in for more tests. Turns out that the aftermath of having an antibiotic, uh, really virulent strain of, of, of C. diff, uh, clostrum difficile, meant that I was stuck with ulcerative colitis for the rest of my life that I'd never eat normal again, that I wouldn't be able to exercise normal. And you look this shit up on the internet and I'm going to tell you guys, never go to Google and Google what you have because it tells you all kinds of negative stuff (laughs) that, and and I quote that I was in for a life of pain, misery and numerous hospitalizations and likely I was going to lose my colon. Well, shit, that didn't sound very good. That's not very Uh, motivating. No, not very motivating at all. Um, But I did some research into some diet stuff, some stress relief stuff. And I, You know, again, I made a conscious decision that I'm not going to let this hold me down. I'm not going to let this affect me and I'm going to overcome this as well. And another three, four months go by. I mean, I've been dealing with this for, for about a year now. Um, and another three to four months went by and and I experimented with my diet, uh, jumped on board this thing called Viome, which uh, I had my biome tested. They tested my feces and basically gave me a list of dietary recommendations. And I started there and I started playing with stress management techniques and, You know, I I, I ruthlessly started to eliminate stress from my life. Negative people, gone. Users, gone. I started to avoid certain situations. And by managing stress and diet, you know, I want to tell you I'm 100% right now. And it feels pretty damn good to be here, considering a year ago, man, I was I was in rough shape, like on my deathbed. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and uh, it, during that time too, you still stayed physically active, like you never just gave up on that. Uh, in fact, you competed in uh, in jujitsu. How did uh, how did that pan out over the course of that disease?
1: Well, the year before I had won world championships, Uh, the year in terms of dealing with the disease, uh, this was last August. I actually wore a diaper to the tournament because I didn't know if uh, I'd shit myself or not. Mm -hmm. I didn't eat for the few days before it because I was unsure of my stomach. I only weighed 222 pounds with my gi on. I was really only back up to 218 fighting at ultra heavyweight. And that's the first jujitsu match I've ever lost. And the first time, and I will tell you this, the first time in anything I can remember physically being tired and not knowing what to do. Yeah,
0: that's new territory for you.
1: Yeah, like I, I remember taking a knee in the middle of the match and thinking, what the hell is going on? Like my body is not working right. And I didn't win. I, I won one match that day. I lost a match that day. And that was that. It was, a, a, it was a, you know, looking back on it, I wish I could have it back. I wish I could have won. But I'm also damn proud of myself that I didn't give up and I went and just did the thing yeah. because I wasn't going to let this thing hold me back. I mean, I think what happens to a lot of people when they hit adversity or they get sick, or they deal with something tough in life, they let everything go to shit. Like, no, you got to live your life. You've got to keep doing the status quo, do the things you love, focus on the positive, don't sit around dwelling in the negative all day, because
0: that's a recipe for failure, as far as I'm concerned. This is a I, question I, I've wanted to actually ask you for a while, uh, but it's just sure. never really come up. But during all of this, did you use green dots? Yes, I absolutely did. I went back to what I know best and that's sports psychology. There you go.
1: So, tell and so us a little bit about the about the green dots. What what's the deal? Okay. So, so I'm going to go over two things, actually, Joe. There are two things that have helped me immensely, um, in my fight career, uh, my strength and conditioning career. When I wrote the book, uh, Maximus body for men's health, when I was getting over the sickness that that have helped me more than anything else. And the first is called this green dot therapy. I call it something taught to me by Brian Kane and what it is we all have green light thoughts and red light thoughts. Uh, Green light thoughts are positive thoughts. So uh, I'm really good at math. I am really smart. I have three university degrees. I can really write. I work harder than anybody. I have the best friends in the world. They're confident thoughts that are green lights. Like think a traffic light that tell you to go. They push you in the right direction. They're inherently positive. But everyone is also plagued with red light thoughts. Those are voices of insecurity and doubt. And I don't care what anybody says. We all have them. Yeah. No matter how confident you are on the outside, there is some insecurity on the inside. And these are the negative things. These are the voices that say, you're going to lose. You're not good enough. You've not practiced enough. Your opponent is better than you. My friend opened up a business and his business failed. So mine's going to fail too. What are people on ESPN going to say about me tomorrow if I lose this football game or this basketball game? Yeah. These are inherently negative thoughts. And there's a constant fight in your brain between positivity and negativity and the people that do well in life the people that succeed are the people who learn to control i call it controlling the narrative but the people who learn to control that argument between the green and the red light thoughts and push it in favor of the green light thoughts Mm -hmm. and so it's really hard to just do that when you're in under stress or you're in a stressful situation to just turn the green light thoughts on because we've all been in it easy yeah no. And we've all been in a situation where you feel good, you're confident. And then one little thing goes wrong and then it's just negativity everywhere. So you have to build up the habit, just like building a six pack or building rippling biceps or a chest or you know a set of quads takes work day after day after day. Working on your brain takes work day after day after day. And so what I would do is I would take little green dots, and uh, I actually sell them on my website now. If you guys want to support me, and go to bobbymaximus.com and buy some, they've got a fancy little Maximus symbol on them, which I joke around and say tell people it imbues them with special powers, but they, they, it really doesn't. Um, you can get these green dots everywhere. Uh, you can get them at the Office Depot. You can get them at Target. They're just little green circles, and I stick these things over everything. I've got one on the back of my phone right now. I've got one. Uh, let me close this slightly. Yep, I've got one on the back of my laptop just had to take a look to make sure got one on the steering wheel of my car my kid has them in his bedroom and every time i see one of these green dots i have to think a positive thought so and it's just in passing i see a green dot and i think i've got three university degrees i see a green dot i was one of the best kickboxers in the world i see a green dot i've always been able to overcome adversity i see a green dot i work out more than anyone i know I see a green dot. I have some of the best friends and one of the best support systems in the world. And so I think these positive thoughts and what this does is, it does two things. One, it builds self-confidence and a belief in myself. And I really believe that having a strong belief in yourself is the most important factor you can have for success in any area of life. And then two, it's like a vaccine. It inoculates me against the negative thoughts. So when a negative thought comes, because I've practiced, Thinking positively, I'm quickly able to shift that narrative in my head or control that fight between the green and the red dot or the green and the red dots in favor of the green because I've been practicing it every day. So when I got sick, green dots everywhere, and I would look at one and I would think things like, I've overcome a lot in my life. This will be no different. I'm a survivor. I work harder than anybody. I've got friends at my side. I've got a supportive wife, and I would think these positive things. And, you
0: know, that really helped me stay on track. Yeah, and and how hard it would normally be. I mean, if you hadn't practiced any of that, if you hadn't learned that, and then you're up against this disease, and you find yourself just in the lowest spot to try to find some glimmer of positivity. Yeah, it's hard. You were kind of like that was your default setting by that point. So that was— Because I'd learned— yeah. Cause I'd learned how to do that. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's,
1: it's who I was. And then the other thing I do, which is similar is every morning I would wake up and in a notebook, I would write down five reasons why I was going to be successful. Five reasons why I'm going to beat this disease. Five reasons why I am going to gain my weight back. Five reasons why I am going to be triumphant. And it's similar to, so the green light thoughts, it's just a little more conscious. Yeah, you wake yeah. up in the morning and while you drink your morning coffee or your water or whatever it is, or before you get out of bed, you'll write down five things. And writing stuff down makes it permanent. It makes it real. We've all had negative thoughts. So Joe, I'm sure we talked about it a lot. I'm sure you've had days where you've thought, I'm a fat, lazy piece of garbage. Uh-huh. I'm not fit. I'm not good enough to do this. And it's funny. You'll tell yourself that in your head but you'll never write it on a piece of paper. It's difficult to write that stuff on a piece of paper. Actually, I had my wife do an experiment. Like, you know, women go through this where they will tell themselves they're ugly. Mm -hmm. I'm ugly, I'm fat, I don't feel well. And you could do this with your wife, Megan. I mean, ask her to write that down when she feels that way. And it's almost impossible for her to write it down. She can think it in passing, but she won't write it down because there's something about writing it down that makes it real. At the same token, one of the best memory tips I can ever give you guys, I'm known for having a good memory, is write it down three times, you own it forever. So if you ever want to remember a paragraph, write it out three times, you'll remember it forever. So every time you write these things down, they become true. And so the combination of the green dots and writing stuff down extremely powerful tool to believe in yourself and it can propel you to
0: success in a lot of areas of your life just for for people listening like i sincerely recommend that you go out and get some green dots and do this stuff don't just think about it don't just hear it and say yeah that kind of makes sense but actually force yourself to do it because i i have green dots everywhere too i've got a green dot that sits right on the dashboard of my car and every time i start the car i slap the green dot and i say something positive It adds up. Well, for sure. And here's the other thing I'll put to you, Joe, because we've had this talk many
1: times behind closed closed doors. We live in a world where people are looking for a quick and easy solution. Mm -hmm. People will pay all kinds of money to get a result. They'll take drugs. They'll do harmful things to their body. They're willing to try crazy, ludicrous things to get to success. Why wouldn't you try the green dot thing? Like, What does it cost? yeah what are, what do these things cost at the store I mean once again you buy the maximus ones nine ninety nine there's a little bit of shameless self promotion but you buy a sheet of Maximus ones nine ninety nine you buy them at the office Depot we'll call it nine ninety nine pretty much nothing everyone can afford ten bucks. can there be any harm done to you well I guess at the risk of narcissism or vanity no and and I think everyone needs a little more self- love in their life I mean I don't think anyone's in danger of not having enough self love so It's easy. It's cheap. It doesn't take a lot of time. Why wouldn't you try this? I mean, even if it doesn't work, what harm are you doing? Same thing. Wake up in the morning and write down five reasons why you're going to be successful. What's the harm in doing that? There's no nasty side effects. It seems pretty straightforward to me, but yet it's impossible to get people to do this because they, I I think there's a thought, and maybe you can shed some light on this, where they think it's going to be silly. Like yeah. I don't want to do this, this is ridiculous.
0: Well, and and no, I think and like it, you said, there there's that moment when you're writing something down where it becomes real, you know? And when you when you have to look at that dot and you start thinking about it, like, oh, what am I doing? And that in itself can trigger sort of a red light thought. So you have to look at it as as like, No, this is exactly what I'm up against. This little game no. is the game I gotta get better at. And so you just make it hokey, fine, whatever. You're going to win today. you know. Okay, Absolutely. Why? You know, like hey, sure. I went to college. I've worked hard. You know, I've got multiple degrees of black belt. I should be able to take this. And all of a sudden, what felt hokey at first gets to feel real good. And you just you accept it for what it is. Well, Here's the
1: other funny thing. People are unwilling to do this sports psychology stuff because they think it's weird. Mm-hmm. They think it's not effective. They think that they're above it. But what if I told you that the best athletes in the world do this? This is what this is what Michael Jordan did. It's what Kobe Bryant does. It's what uh, Michael Phelps does. I mean, if you take the best athletes in the world, they all have sports psychologists and they all do sports psychology business people CEOs I do on the side uh, one of the things I don't advertise a lot is I do coaching with people life coaching and corporate coaching Mm -hmm. I bring sports psychology to the corporate environment um and I, I help create corporate athletes and one of the things that I work with with various CEOs around the country and around the world is how to be mentally tougher self-confidence how to believe in themselves and this is something that people pay a lot of money to do the the people that are running the country the people who are the captains of industry and business they all practice stuff like this
0: they all read so it's good enough for them you better believe it's good enough for you
1: yeah why wouldn't you do it like you think it's silly But people are paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for this. They're reading all the time. They're going to various lectures. I mean, the ultimate example of this is Tony Robbins. How many how many lives has that man changed? And his his tours, I mean, the stuff he does, it's sold out worldwide, you know. And, and other people, like, you know, I pay attention to other podcasts, but Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, Jocko Willink is a guy that has a podcast and a huge Instagram following. Yeah. A lot of these people. Tim Ferriss is another guy. Um, Ryan Holiday. Uh, Dave Asprey. Um, I mean, you, you can go on and on about names. We always talk about books, but it's
0: all just sports psychology. So why wouldn't you try this? Yeah, yeah. What's the risk? The, making making yourself look silly in front of yourself. I just let it go. <laughs>
1: and that's it. You know, or thinking it's a waste of time. But I'm going to tell you that that's just again a negative red light thought. That the simple truth is, you're just not willing to do what needs to be
0: done. Well, is what it boils it's down that to. Resistance that we talked about. Because now all of a sudden you're going to do something that that's worthwhile, something that's good for yourself. So of course you're going to face resistance right off the bat. Yeah. And and it's
1: funny, like if I sit here and, and I don't want to brag, but I think I've accomplished a lot. I mean, I look back on my little life and I fought for a world kickboxing championship. I mean, yeah, I got knocked out, but how many people have done that? Right. How many people have fought in the UFC? How many people have won a submission of the night UFC? I'm I'm actually in my office right now and looking at a book. I there's an article about me in the, in in the UFC. Uh, it's like a history of the UFC anthology, and there's like there's my picture and there's my Name, how many people have had that happen to them? If I was named one of the hundred fittest people to ever walk the planet, I mean, I've done a lot of incredible things, Joe. And I will tell you, I will credit that all to training my brain, and that's all it is. I mean, even, even way back when, when you said a young Bobby Maximus found the weight room, when I went into that weight room for the first time and I got pinned under a 45 pound bar and I was humiliated. It wasn't being physical that brought me back. It was having the mental strength and the resilience to get back on that horse and try again. On that note, I heard the greatest quote ever. And, and, And I don't say that lightly, but I read it on Instagram. Actually, I didn't hear it. The kid that falls down over and over and over again, learning to walk. Do you think they ever think in their head, maybe this isn't for me? No, they just keep doing it. Like, you've got it now. you got a young one at home, little Max. And as he's starting to learn to walk, because he's got to be close now. He gets up, he falls down. He gets yeah. up, he falls down. I don't think he's ever thought, maybe this isn't for me. He's yeah, he just going to do the thing. He's just like, eh, forget it. I'll just roll around the rest of my life. Yep. He's just, he, he's just, he's going to do it. It's the only thing he knows, because I'm, I'm going to walk. That's it. And so that reminds me of when I was in the weight room or when I was getting beat up wrestling. It's like, no, I'm going to do this no matter what. Yeah. It's and it's that question. attitude. It's not a question. Yeah. That, no. And, and so that attitude is what's – people are always looking for that secret of success. And really it's show up, don't quit, ask some questions along the way. Yeah. It's that simple. You know, and yes, you're going to fail. You're going to get knocked down. And when you start to get good at stuff, you're going to experience failure. And I think some of my favorite athletes of all time do you think Michael Jordan ever faced adversity? Okay. I mean, his dad died at the height of his career. It messed yeah. him up. He walked away from basketball for a couple of years. Yeah. LeBron James has been made fun of mercilessly in the media. I mean, I watch ESPN every day, there's a lot of negative stuff said about that guy. He's played in bad games. He's had low points in his career. Kobe Bryant, low points in his career. I mean, every person that I look up to has faced a huge obstacle at one point, but yet they still found a way to be successful by
0: dusting themselves off and showing up the next day. And that's another concept that you and I have talked about. It's just that what we do in the gym really does translate to the rest of our life. And so in the gym, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but like we train to failure, you know, we train to find our weaknesses. We train to find the parts where we start to break down and then we get better at those things. And the theme that kind of draws us all together is, is like you said, you're not just training muscles. You're not just training your body. You're, you're training your brain. You're training yourself. You know, you're training so that when you hit those hard points, it's not a matter of like, well, that was hard time to give up. It's a matter of that was hard. That must be worth doing. And then and then using that as your reason to kind of keep going so that that thought of quitting really just doesn't cross your mind. No. And, you know, my wrestling coach, this is something I've
1: talked about before, but my wrestling coach used to say, I think better than anyone ever has, the hardest part is putting your shoes on. And it's true. Like, what's the hardest part of you going to the gym today? It's just getting it done. Yep, And that's something where, you know, you've you've now time to pump your tires a little bit here. But that's that's where we become really good friends. And you've really earned my respect is that I've never seen you give up. I've never seen you complain. I've never seen you uh, despite the adversity that you faced. And we'll get into that in a later podcast. I've never seen you
0: pack it in. I mean, you always just show up and do the right thing. And it's hard. It's hard to quit after a while. You know, it's just hard to 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 lose. No, it
1: absolutely is. But that's despite the fact that you've had a lot of setbacks as well and you've faced a lot of stuff, but you just keep doing the thing. And that's the big difference between successful people and non-successful people is they just don't quit. There's a certain amount of resilience there, no matter what the world throws at you. You just keep working hard and doing the right things. So I think, you know, I I feel like we've been talking a while um, and and hopefully this has been really interesting for people, but I think this really sets the table for what this podcast is going to be and we've we talked about this at length. We've planned it out for a while. What Joe and I want this to be for you is somewhere where you can come and you can learn how to better yourselves, and there's always going to be an emphasis on training your brain and using the gym because this is another thing that both you and I believe in with all our hearts, yep. that the gym can be a training ground, that it can be a springboard, that it can be an area of your life that you can work on, That can help improve every other single aspect of your life that if you can train your brain and your body in the gym, that you can be successful in other areas of life. And it's something we believe with all our hearts. So in terms of the future here, what you can look forward to, I mean, we're going to we're going to talk about sports psychology. Uh, We will talk about training. We will talk about diet. We will talk about recovery, stress management uh better sleep and we will be interviewing people who've earned our respect and who have an interesting story
0: to tell because that's really how we learn through storytelling oh, and that's really so, the goal is to to bring to bring information to to the listeners that they can use no and that's for sure well, that story in a compelling way really
1: well yeah and something that you can take like I mean if you, Start. If anyone listening out there goes and buys some green dots and betters themselves because of it, we've done a job. I mean, this was worth the time that we put into this. If someone starts, you don't even need green dots. You can start writing stuff down now. I mean, literally you can go to a notebook, you can open the notes on your phone and you can
0: start this right now. So what's, what's stopping you? Yeah. And I'll challenge everybody listening. As soon as we're done, grab a piece of paper and just write down five reasons why you're going to be successful. You will yeah, not regret and, it. No, absolutely not. And as I've said a
1: million times, it, it's free. It's easy. Takes minimal time. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely. So yeah. So we're excited to go on this journey with you guys. Uh, we're making a commitment to stick to this. Um, and and as 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 you know, with Joe and I, quitting is not easy to do. <laughs> um, so we will be on top of this and 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 look for a lot of things in the future coming your way. And we're excited to. Go on this journey with you. So thank you for being part of our inaugural episode of the Maximus Podcast.
0: Yes, thank you, everyone. The last of a the of the concrete,
1: thank you for listening to the Maximus Podcast with Bobby Maximus and Joe Sabula, sponsored by our good friends at Lalo Tactical. For the best in shoes and the best in boots, visit www.lalo.com.